масло для чоти, лед не нажати во время урок. Солнечный день в ослепительных снах. That was the title track of Kino's sixth studio album, Grupa Krovi, or Blood Type, released in 1988. <laughs> Высокая в небе звезда Зовет меня в путь Группа крови You have an anecdote for me, right? Or no? Let's just talk about soy. Well, I really, I just, there's a line in that. I really love that song. It's very, like, well-known, but it's like, like, stardust on my rain boots. It's so pretty. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I know. It's a shame that I can't understand the lyrics because I like the music enough to want to listen to it even without understanding the lyrics. Okay, I have this. I have two anecdotes, but you can choose. Do you want to hear the one that's about kids in a park or about a sculptor, a famous sculptor? Let's do the famous sculptor. Uh, I knew she would pick that one. That's why I prepared for it. <laughs> okay, so I was walking on this street near my house. Uh, in the evening and in Petersburg like a lot of houses have historical significance I remember when there you would pass by a house and there'd be like a plaque on it with like explaining it yeah, yeah. So, yeah so there's plaques all over the place so I was with my friend and we stop at a plaque has a cool font and it's the plaque for Sergei Alexandrovich Yevseyev and we read the plaque and it says in this house this is how they all said it they say in this house between the years of 1909 and 1959 lived and worked the famous Soviet sculptor who created the statue of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin near Finlandsky station in Leningrad and his and then okay. his name Sergei Alexandrovich Yevsev we're just reading this you know educating ourselves in the city and this guy like comes up out of nowhere just like from you know like suddenly he's in front of us okay and he's like he's like oh yeah sculptor <laughs> and we were like yep <laughs> just reading the plaque it's like dark outside it's like there's a there's a little producti store nearby and, and think this guy was coming out of that i didn't okay. see him come out and he seemed to be inebriated and he was like yeah sculptor and then we're like yeah he's like yeah he lived here and I know his daughter, and he starts like telling a story that is most likely not true about the family, like knowing the family. And then he just looks at my friend, and he's like, Are you a sculptor? (laughs) And he's like, No, I'm not. (laughs) But we were like standing there and engaging with him. We were not like trying to leave, we were just like listening to him. And um, he's like, Yeah, you know, it's so hard these days. Who to sculpt? Who does like who to who to make sculpture? I mean, this guy like he did a sculptor a uh, sculpture of Lenin. You know, like that seems pretty legit. But like, who would you do now? Like, would you make a sculpture of someone who like worked in the government in government right now? Yeah. So I was sort of observing this dialogue between these two men. It was very like man to man dialogue, and he was kind of completely ignoring my existence. The sculpt the the random guy. Then he's like, you know what, like. It's something that I just don't know what to do. And suddenly switches into the first person. And he's like, I make things. I mean, I, I, I'm an artist. I make things with my hands. I sculpt. But I just can't sculpt people I don't like. 
I just can't do it. <laughs> and we're like, oh, so you're a sculptor. <laughs> like, and he's like, yeah, I mean, I, but you know, I just, I just can't, I just can't do it. Like if, if the person, if you give me some deputy, like from some random, I don't know, like parliament member or something, some random politician, he's like, I just, I can't promise you that I would do it. I mean, are we supposed to, and he's going on this like philosophical rant, are we supposed to do things just for money? And then like, yeah, when, and then my friend was like, well, would you sculpt Lenin if someone asked you to? And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, why? Yeah, I don't see why not. I'm pretty sure like the whole thing, it, like the whole reality like happened as we were speaking. It was like he was, he was, he was kind of, you know, like the kind of drunk where he was, he wasn't slurring his words and he was like, sort of lucid sort of but then you realize there's this like layer of like non-reality on top of his lucidity yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like he's he's like you know this conversation would be better if somebody involved was a sculptor so since you said you're not right exactly it's like so that we can have this conversation are you a sculptor no so i am (laughs) no you're not this is the meat of the podcast (laughs) Wait, have you ever, have you ever caught your, have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. Graphics backed up, I got to get off of this road. From St. Petersburg and Brooklyn, this is She's in Russia. I'm Lily. And I'm Smith. So what is today's episode? We're talking about super cult figure rock star from the 1980s, Victor Soy, and kind of the scene in, that he was a part of then. Yeah, yeah. And the band, right? And his band, Kino. All right, let's listen to Pachka Cigarette off Kino's 1989 album, The Star Called Sun. Zizda pa imeni solnce. Cigarette. What does pachka mean? Pack, cigar- pack of cigarettes. Oh, the oh. um, it's the album Zizda by Minnesota. So the like title track of that of that album is also really great. So just go listen to yeah. it. Yeah, we're gonna just kind of do like a basic bio of him, but start talking about the rock scene also that Soy was a part of, because like he's extremely important, and he's like so he's this lead. He's the leader of the band, you know. But that band is also a, the leader within the sort of Leningrad rock scene of the 80s, at least of the late 80s. So he was born in June 1962 in Leningrad. And then he's died and then that's it. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> yeah, so he was, he was born like, you know, to sort of regular parents. His dad was an engineer who is of Korean origin. So Soy looks kind of Korean. That will come up later. And his mom was a gym teacher. So he grows up in the 1970s. And the general thing to know about him is that he is a very artistically talented person. Like, he draws and does visual art in general. In an interview, I heard him say that his favorite toy as a kid was Play-Doh. He doesn't start playing music, though, until he's 13. 
then like sort of continues his general arts education at first in a fine arts institute but he ends up getting thrown out because he doesn't want to do like the sort of prescribed things like politically motivated posters and or like propagandistic posters or whatever and he's like getting more and more interested in music in 1979 he goes he goes into another sort of institute that's art restoration focused and he studies to be a wood carver and that time he starts listening to some of the famous most famous soviet musicians and bards for example Vysotsky who we've talked about a couple of times remember yeah i remember Vitsi. and this is when he starts like meeting people in the Leningrad and Moscow art scene i mean music scene rock scene so in the 70s he meets Alexei Rybin who will become a member of Kino eventually for a couple of years in the early years of Kino he starts to play music with these different like underground musicians in Leningrad and Moscow in these kind of homemade concerts that are called kvartirki from the word kvartira which means apartment so they're like apartment concerts this is around the era when he starts joining that scene and he like travels to Moscow fairly regularly to go play with the musicians legend has it that he met Boris Grebenshikov who is this like extremely he's still very famous member of of this of the rock scene and also like leader of the group Aquarium and they'll also come up later so he met him allegedly on a train on one of his like train rides to to Moscow apparently like from this anecdote he wasn't taking like the night train or the the train he was like to save money was taking a bunch of small local trades, oh, which like, doesn't make sense. I can't imagine. No, it doesn't make any sense. So he meets Gribinchikov and he helps bring him into like cl- more closely into what's known as the Leningrad Rock Club in the fall of 1981. He first forms an actual band in the summer of 1981. He's on vacation in Crimea, like a good Soviet boy. And he's on vacation with the same Alexei Rybin, who I said that he met, and another guy named Alek Valinsky. And they form a band, the three of them, that they call Garen and the Hyperboloids. What's a hyperboloid? I don't know. It's based on the science fiction novel by Alexei Tolstoy, who is not Lev Tolstoy. That novel is called The Hyperboloid of the Engineer Garen, or Garen. Okay whatever silly (laughs) it's a silly name and it only lasted for like one second so yeah just forget about it do we want to listen to that one of their songs yeah sure okay so we listen to this song that someone recorded sometime I want to acknowledge the fact that the quality of the early recordings, especially for like both Kino and Aquarium, are like really terrible. I mean, you can hear it in that, like the quality of the well, recording yeah, is pretty one. bad. It's because yeah. they didn't have real. I mean, it's questionable if they ever had real studios in like the '80s, but it's certainly in the beginning of the forming of these bands, like they didn't have real studios and they're recording on like shitty little recorders at home. Yeah, and I yeah, I think a lot of the recording most likely, at least in the beginning took place at those kinds of apartment concerts where there's just like a bunch of people that so that song that we just listened to it's called my mood my mood the sound quality is really shitty and there's like that like drumming happening it just sort of sounds like it's like happening very casually i i watch a lot of videos of i mean maybe we can get into this later but i watched like this there was like a mini documentary about the art scene in Leningrad during the time and like a lot of the video is just them like kind of banging on whatever they have you know or like a drum pad okay yeah yeah I mean and like we didn't talk about what Soy himself plays but just real quick he so when he started out he didn't like he didn't play anything when he started getting interested in music in his early teens he also legend has it 
um, he and his friends thought that bass would be easier than guitar because it has fewer strings. So <laughs> he started playing bass, but then he then he like switched to guitar and he mainly like he plays guitar, he sings and he writes the lyrics mostly. Okay. So that's like, yeah. And he's like the front man of Kino. Yeah. So that was the band that formed in the summer of 1981. So then in the fall of 1981, they come back from Crimea. They're all tan. They have a band. What could be better? They become members or like become part of the Leningrad Rock Club, as it's called, very much with the help of the same buddies, Gribin Shikov. So you'll hear more about that later. But it's a thing. It's not just like, we're in a club. A, little, a few months later, in 1982, in the beginning of 1982, uh, one of the members, Valinsky, Oleg Valinsky, goes to the army, goes off to the army. And after that, the group changes their name to Kino. Wait, wait does ki- Kino mean anything? Yes. So this is when I will talk about what it means. First of all, it means film or movie. But like Kino, when you say like, you can say I'm going to the Kino, it's like I'm going to the movies. You can okay. say that. People say that. It can be both be like a physical place and an abstract concept for like film. Okay. So I got a lot of questions over the years about like why it was called that. And especially because he played, he, he acted in, in several films. He acted in like small roles in several movies. And then once he had like a main role in a movie. But like people would try to sort of like get him to explain the meaning behind it and like did he secretly want to be an actor like was he really <laughs> so into the annoying. movies and he was no only by bad phil but that'll do it <laughs> but he like i heard him explain it once that basically naming a band is really difficult because like if you name yourself something too uh suggestive like the example he gave was the hooligans it's like if you name your band the hooligans then you turn out to be these really polite guys playing super like <laughs> sweet and soft music sometimes then you just have this contradiction with your name and it's like people get confused or whatever it sends the wrong signals and for him kino like it's like when you're in new york (laughs) (laughs) it's like when you're in new york but it's still called she's in russia (laughs) really locked us in there what oh yeah exactly sorry stupid stupid (laughs) that was a good one titty so yeah like for him, it's like a very compact and abstract name in a way that he likes that also is memorable. Like it's two syllables. It's sort of just like punchy. Yeah. And it's abstract enough or so he thought that people aren't going to try to like dig too deep into how it connects to their personal lives and stuff. But then people do anyway, because whatever. So Kino, this newly formed band in 1982, they released their first album called 45. And so we will listen to a couple of songs from 45 a little bit later. And then, like, the mid-80s, they're still playing very much for friends in small home settings. But they, they, like, start to gain popularity as they release albums. But they're sort of, like, apparently their mass popularity doesn't come until the late 80s. With the release of their album, Blood Type, that we heard from. That was the first song we listened to. Yeah, they start to get more mass attention and also soy has a cameo in like what becomes a super cult film of the time called asa which we will also talk about later um and that also helps bring mass attention to him and to kino and then they start performing in like really big venues etc filling stadiums crazy okay so now we get to do a little more set the scene stuff enough of this boring biography so the kvartiniki that I had, I've mentioned a few times. I just wanted to like describe them a little bit more in more detail. So they have a name. They're like a phenomenon, but they are kind of, as you would imagine it, just like people hanging out in an apartment. Like there's a lot of people, there's booze, people are smoking cigarettes, various people with guitars and other instruments, men and women, and people take turns playing. And like one of the things I heard noted from this time, from this like scene is that you get these like mix of extremely famous people from the from the rock scene and no namers and you get this sort of like you know chance for new names to come out kind of to like become known but also mm-hmm. those new names have to like prove themselves personally because 
and and also the famous people have to prove themselves in a way personally and what i mean by that is like they're not like behind a curtain and they don't just come out with their sunglasses on and then go away they're like there and they're talking with you and they're getting drunk with you and like if they're an asshole they're an asshole you know like it's a much more intimate and open yeah open scene sounds fun yeah it does sound fun and the tradition itself though has had been like around for at least 20 years before before these guys with like the the bards the same Vysotsky type people from the 60s and some of Vysotsky's like earliest recordings are from these apartment concerts the other thing about it, about this phenomenon that's important is these people aren't just there just because of the reasons they said like just because like it's intimate and it's fun and it's cool and your friends are all hanging out together with famous people they're doing this because it provides a performance space that is alternative to like official concerts and officially state sanctioned musicians and concerts so this is the place where people perform who can't perform in other places often not exclusively, but often, because as with all the arts and all of the, like all production of culture in the Soviet Union was sort of put into two main categories. You have like official production of culture that is, you know, like you're part of the writer's guild or whatever, like, or the, or the music, mm. not guild, but you know what I mean? Like you have like a card and you... Yeah, you're like a member officially. You are officially a writer, officially an artist, officially a musician. And then that means that you have to follow certain rules, of course. Then there is the unsanctioned people who just like create art and are not like officially, officially whatever, employed by the state. Sometimes like by their choice, but a lot of times because they can't or something like that. But I think a lot of times because they don't want to be prescribed to make the certain kind of art that the state wants. So there's this like political element to it, but that's almost like practical political. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also just one thing to note about the political aspect of that is that in the mid 80s, um, there was sort of like a, at least in words, a crackdown on this kind of performance because it was named, it became punishable by like the worst punishment would be imprisonment. But I'm sure that didn't happen that often. Uh, Maybe fines or something. But the thing that was being punished was that doing this kind of performance was called entrepreneurial activity doing your own thing, which isn't allowed (laughs) um, because it threatens the monopoly of state employment. Okay, so I came across this video from one of these Kvartirki parties and it's from uh, between 1985 and 1986. But the video is taken by, from what I can tell, an American journalist. And the people present are, that we know, that are important for us, are Soy, and then this person named Sergei Bugayev, whose like nickname is Africa. He's also going to come up later because he is the main character in the cult film Asa. Kino, which along with Aquarium is one of the most wicked groups in Leningrad, dominates most of the 170 other groups. Nevertheless, it has no serious chance of making a record that will enable it to reach a larger public. a station during the day and a musician at night, Tsoi is passionate about his music. Despite his wife and six-month-old baby, he plays whenever he can, sometimes at concerts, but more often just for friends. <laughs> for this performance in an apartment, the drummer Africa, whose nickname says quite a lot, has verged on provocation intended to astonish the foreigners. I can, I can begin. Our group, Kino, has existed since 1982. 
We play the music that's the most plugged in. There are a lot of good groups, but Kino devotes itself to the problems of fashion, to the problems of the new generation and teenagers. We're all painters, philosophers, and sociologists. And we follow the evolution of fashion with a great deal of attention. We're all surgeons. We make the kind of music that pleases us against everything. What's great in what you can see in the video is that they are totally fucking with this guy. He like translated as though they're being serious, like we are sociologists and we study the questions of of youth and fashion. Well, but the, whoever was holding the camera kind of knew they were fucking with him because when they say fashion, he zooms in on Sergey in the back. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and like yeah, so when when he said that um, Sergey Africa is trying to what did he say like entertain the foreigners or something. There was there was that in the beginning, but then also when Soy is like, you know, we're concerned with questions of fashion and the youth, he zooms in on Sergey. No, 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 no. I, I know what you're saying that, but I'm just trying to describe that like Africa uh, is dressed in like what looks like a tight, almost ballerina maybe dress or like a gown. Yeah, a it's gown. like a ball. It's like a ball a gown. A black with, like, ball ruffles. gown. Bodice. Yeah. It's pretty. It's very, he looks and nice And he has like fl- feathery blonde hair, which I don't, yeah. I feel like might yeah. be a wig or just he feathered it or something. They were dancing together in the beginning of the video. Yeah, they're really cute. I like them. Yeah, very cute. It's cute that they're friends. Okay, so Smith, yes, tell me more about the Leningrad Rock Club that these boys were a part of. Right, so you mentioned it. Um, it's a venue. Uh, it opened in 1981 on Rubenstein Street, which is in Leningrad. Rubenstein. Rubenstein. During this time of Glasnost, which was just uh, Gorbach- one of Gorbachev's reforms around. It's translated like openness, but it's... Yeah, openness. Like, you know, just general openness, I guess, with I guess within Russia and then also to the West. So, there's honestly, there's not that inf- much information about the Leningrad Rock Club in English, but enough to kind of give you a sense. And, and there's two, like, competing narratives. On the one hand, which is, like, what the Wikipedia article says, is that, like, the Leningrad Rock Club was founded and overseen by the KGB. But other articles that I was able to find says that it's probably <laughs> more likely that that Grivin Shikov, uh, who we've been mentioning, who was the front man for Aquarium, along with Kino and, and others in the scene at that time, like decided to do this thing and then got approval from the city. But during this time, bands did have, for before like big concerts, did have to submit their lyrics to the state before they were performed and get them okayed. This Leningrad Rock Club led to bands becoming much more successful because like as Lily's saying, they're doing these concerts in apartments and, and they're pretty successful in their own right in that regard. Like obviously people know about them, they're famous within the city, but now they had a venue to play in and collaborate in. You know, there's like an actual space for these different bands to be interacting. And generally, it's a pretty incestuous group. There's 70 bands under this like umbrella of the Leningrad Rock Club. And the more famous bands who are part of the club, just to list some, Kino, Aquarium, DDT, Picnic. Is that how you pronounce it? Picnic? Picnic. And, and Zoo Park. Zoo Park just means, um, oh my God, a zoo. <laughs> thank you <laughs> and the the genres kind of run the gamut within rock um so one band called grajdanskaya Aborona, Aborona, were more kind of on the punky side to aquarium that at least in the early days when the musicians were untrained they weren't musicians when they first formed were experimental so like if you go back and listen to their early stuff it's like unlistable not only is like the recording quality itself horrible but like they're not there's no you know this like lacking melody and general things that make you want to listen to music for a long time and the bands did collaborate a lot aquarium musicians played on Kino's first album 45 because at the time I guess they only had two people um, available and so members of Aquarium played drums and some other and stuff. And I think Grebyshikov uh, um, uh, produced that album if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, DDT and another Leningrad rock club band called Alisa went on tour to Hungary together. And Zoo Park's first album was actually with Aquariums. Gribinchikov. Another interesting thing is that a lot of these bands still exist today, kind of in a very different iteration than they did in the 80s. But still some of them make music or did up until you know the mid 2000s and the i think the really like interesting thing about the leningrad rock club is the relationship with authority so on the one hand you have you know these artists and bands who are making rock music which you know in its origins kind of have an inherently anti-authoritarian overtones and one particular band televisor was explicitly anti-authoritarian and here's one quote from one of their one of their songs our kind uncles and aunts we grow up an obedient breed we sing what they want we live how they want but on the other hand you have this like classic you sold out issue right because like now these bands that had been playing in apartments and had gotten fans through the underground, so to speak, are suddenly playing in like a state sanctioned venue and they're getting on the radio more and they're getting on TV. And many of them were producing records on the state's label. And I just want to note some stuff in a 1987 New York Times article uh, where they interviewed Gribinchikov. And it, this is this is him being quoted. We are so official now, so taken to heart that the people who were with us before are not sure of us. Nobody can believe that the system has changed. They think we must have changed. And then quoting a Leningrad rock critic of the time, Alexander Kahn, he's talking about the state label which called which is called melodia and he's saying melodia's new interest in rock is a breakthrough of course but still every song every sound every record has to be approved they're letting more happen but it is being done exclusively on their terms all right let's take a break and listen to vasmi klasnitsa eighth grade girl off kino's first studio album 45 which was released in 1982 and at the as i mentioned before at the time the band comprised only two members so musicians from aquarium pitched in
This album is so funny because there's several songs that have this like Hawaiian island feel, including this one. Yeah. There's one that's like fully island. <laughs> Which one? I don't. I had it listed. I was like, no, that's too ridiculous. I can't play it. I'll find out later. I'll talk a little bit more about what I think of the album when we do the song thing because it's from this album. So as I mentioned when I was describing the Quartirki, Quartirniki, <laughs> forgive me. When I was talking about that, I was talking about the difference between like unofficial musicians and official musicians. And that is very important for describing Soy's life. The, the sort of theme of his jobs is that they don't take a lot of time. So they can focus on making music. In the Soviet Union in general, like you have to have a job. You, you can't just be a, a layabout. A layabout or a, a couch potato. Okay, you you do have to have a job that like the state says is a job. So just because you play music and call yourself a musician, if it's not like the officially sanctioned, if you're not signed, you know, have all the labels and whatever and have all the like licenses and shit, then you're not a musician in the eyes of the state. So you can go fuck yourself and get a real job. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he had a bunch of like odd jobs. At one point he was cleaning a banya. At one point he worked in a boiler room in Leningrad. Okay, so I'm standing on Blochina Street, number 15, house number 15, and that's the address of the bar slash museum venue called Kamchatka, where Victor Tsoi used to originally work in the boiler room there, like in the room that heated this house number 15 and also he played music there and now it's like it's always a museum uh sort of like haven uh mecca so yeah i'm like i'm it's a quiet street and it's nighttime it's about 11 p.m and i'm just um walking around the side of the house because uh it turns out the club is on the other side <laughs> hidden from the street it's not on the street sort of in an open courtyard so I'm walking there now he didn't just come to work there randomly he was sort of brought there by someone who was in the rock scene and other rock artists worked there as well at some point Mm, so it became a place that people both worked and then they would also hang out and play music and so it became it became a venue at the time the law that I was referring to that says that everyone in the Soviet Union has to work that's actually like part of the constitution that was established in 1936, but became a, a, a law that people were actually being um, convicted for starting in May 1961. And the, the like crime that they're committing is called tunyadstvo, which is like parasitism, translates parasitism. Mm-hmm. And so the idea behind that is like if you don't work in a way that is socially useful then you are leading a parasitic lifestyle quote unquote and that is illegal and you can be punished in various ways joseph brodsky the poet was accused of this very crime in 1964 and he ended up leaving the soviet union forever wait where did he go the u.s oh yeah and that's why he like wrote a bunch in in actually in American, in English. He like taught and stuff. Yeah, I do want us to listen to how Soy himself describes his work in Kamchatka. I so that's a clip of him speaking actually from a documentary by Alexei Uchisil that was made in 1987. The documentary is called Rock, and it's about this whole scene. You could hear him, like, shoveling, yeah. The, the scene is him in Kamchatka, in the boiler room, like, in the dark, shoveling into this oven, shoveling coal into the oven, and then his voice is, like, recorded over it. Basically, what he's saying during that is like he's describing his work and why he likes it. He's like, I, it's important for me to be my own boss, kind of. Like, it's important for me to 
feel free and like I feel free when I'm doing this. I feel like independent. And then he says, this work is kind of, it has, it's natural. He uses the word natural. And it's natural because you, it has like an immediate return. You immediately see the fruits of your labor. Like, right, it's like concrete, it's not abstract. And he says like, you know, you're here, you're, you're shoveling, you're shoveling coal, but you know immediately that people are being warmed in the house above you. It's like there's something useful happening. All right, before we talk about Soy's role in the cult classic film Asa, 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 let's listen to a theme for a new song from the 1984 album Nachalnik Kamchatki, which means the boss of Chumkat, the boss of Kamchatka. Yeah, no, I don't know. This album is just really ridiculous to me. And I think I was thrown, like, the co- I judged it by the cover first because the cover is the four, I think it's the four members of the band. Definitely. So I was on it. And they're kind of in like exaggerated makeup, like almost clown-esque. And some of the songs are like full carnival songs. Oh, okay. I see. I got that vibe too. And like you can hear in that song at the very least, like it has a lot of um, like extraneous or like uh, kind of superfluous mechanical noises. Yeah. Okay. So there's this movie now we've mentioned like a few times called Asa. And it's this cult classic from the late 80s. It came out in 1987. And it's directed by Sergei Solovyov, who we're going to hear from in a hot minute. Soy has a cameo in this movie. His whole relationship with the director Solovyov and the movie will become clear in just a minute. But first, so he has a cameo, he has a short scene in this movie. At the very end. At the very end, where he plays himself, basically. Um, and he, he like plays a musician uh, in in who's like trying to get a job, and the scene leads into him actually performing this song "Pity Man," which translates as like changes. And this song ended up becoming extremely like a important, almost like hymn-like song that represents the Perestroika era. Can 
Kino was going to come in as like a band that accompanies the main character, who is played by Sergei Africa Bulgaev, who is like an artist, etc., from this era. He's like actually a musician and artist in real life. He was the one in the dress in the interview we listened to. Yeah, in dress interview. And this movie just like really should watch this movie. It's a classic. And he, he ends up just like being, he's really amazing in the movie. He's the main character, but he doesn't do any really acting work, much acting work after that because he like isn't that interested in it. In any case, the director, Solovyov, was interviewed by Medusa. He tells the story of how he met Soy. Вообще-то нас никто не знакомил. Я Африке сказал. He's describing how they met, and so he answers the question, like, so how did you actually meet Soy? Did someone introduce you? He just refers to Sergei as Africa throughout the whole thing, so I'm just going to use that. So he's like, okay, I said to Africa, I'm, I need, like, four guys who are going to play a band and accompany the main character. So just bring me four guys. I'm, like, 40 years old. I got... You know, I'm fine, I'm doing fine. I, like, don't know what's happening, like, in the youth scene, nor am I interested in it. And so Africa's like, of course, I'll bring you the coolest guys, the best ones, like, the most interesting. And I'm like, okay, but I don't need that. I don't need that. Just bring me some people. I don't care. Just, like, bring me any people. I don't need the coolest ones. I wouldn't know the difference, anyway. And Africa's like, I will bring you some kind, but it will be the coolest ones. <laughs> He's like, I'll bring Kino. And I'm like, I don't care if it's Kino, Vino, Domino. <laughs> For me, that this Kino is an empty sound. He doesn't, like, I have no idea who these guys are. So, some group of people comes, turns out to be Kino, and they're sitting with us in, like, the Moss Film studio. And I see the leader, and... And he's clearly a Nazman. Okay, so this is where I'm going to pause and come out of my Salaviov character to explain what Nazman is, because it's important. It's hard to translate. It comes from a combination of the word for, like, national and menshistvo, which is minority. So it literally means, like, okay. a minority in, like, a sort of Soviet speak where they crush two words together. Okay. But it has a derogatory connotation that specifically has a connotation not just any minority, but specifically speaking of the Caucasus and, like, potentially the um, Central Asian republics. Even though he's not technically Central No, so Soy, as I mentioned before, is his father is of Korean descent, so he looks slightly Asian. But he definitely looks Asian. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. What Solovyov is saying is this word that it doesn't mean Asian, but means like of the Soviet minorities, right? So right, he's right. referring to a, an Asian of the like Caucasus. So he says like, you brought me a Nazman. And I was like, Africa, look, they're great guys. They're fabulous. They're amazing. They're miraculous. But how could you bring me a Nazman? So I met Soy because we went out into the stairwell and I said, look, you have such a wonderful appearance. I've never seen such a miraculous appearance. My lips got dry from nervousness when I first saw you. But you with your appearance doesn't fit the part. It just isn't suitable for us. So, yeah, my acquaintance with Soy started out with me kicking him out of my film. But that didn't upset him in the least. Actually, he was really happy not to be part of this Sotsnaryadka. All right, so back to me. I'm not Solovyov anymore. Sotsnaryadka is also one of those, like, two terms smushed together. And it comes, it's basically like, you know, like saying an official, officially sanctioned thing, like an order from on high. And so Asa was filmed very much, like, above board. And Solovyov at that time was, like, known and everything. And it was in Moss Film, like, the state film company. <laughs> and... So I guess, according to him, that's not something that Soy would be that interested in. Like, yeah, according to him, his, like, racist profiling, kicking him out of the more main part of the film was actually, like, he really liked it. Um, we don't know. <laughs> it's fucked up. But, yeah, so Soy still has his cameo, though. <laughs> he was allowed. Isn't that ridiculous? It's very ridiculous, yeah. 
Next up, Lily is going to talk about Soy's tragic death and do a close reading of one of his songs. But first, we'll listen to Conchitza Letta from Kino's final studio album, the Black Album, that was released in 1990 after Kino's death. Oh, well, that's good. You see that? Yeah. You see that? You see? Yeah. Do you see? Oh, I see it all right. You see what you did there? Conchitza Letta, the summer is ending. Sad. I don't know watching him in the needle like he's one of those people that like hurts my heart a little bit to say I think it's partially because he like died young or whatever but uh, there's just something about him where I'm like oh. hurts your heart like you love him I mean I don't love him because <laughs> I don't know him. yeah just kind of like I there's something about him that feels very like earnest or something like that and he's so cute and like young and hot and like lanky you know and he just like in that movie he's just like bounding around a lot like doing different things like trying to be a good person sad yeah he is like yeah he just has this amazing sort of like preserved youth and I guess that movie did a really good job of doing that as well but like because he did die really young he you know all the video all the like recordings of him and everything are him like being a young young. cool musician and like in this movie he's this like yeah like you said lanky tan like beautiful sort of hot boy yeah boy which is sad to see for some reason and maybe it is just in the context that he died but i don't know well i mean if he hadn't died then he would also just be old which is also old and like probably like chubby and and making shitty music which is like you know the whole thing about like legends dying young or then not dying and then like selling out um, yeah. I see, <laughs> I see you, Bob Dylan. <laughs> so yeah, sorry to end. we're not going to end with the sad note, but there is a sad note, which is that he did die young, as we're referencing. He died at the age of 28 on August 15th, 1990. It was re- it's very tragic and very shocking death. So he got in a car accident on vacation in Latvia. At this point <laughs> in 1990, Soy has is become like popular on a mass level. So he was a legend in his time, not only after his death and people were shocked and people were extremely upset. And like, you know, there was like public mourning, like people crying. And there were also allegedly like people who committed suicide based on his death, like serious reaction across the entire Soviet Union, which is a shit ton of people and countries. We also haven't mentioned that he, who he left behind amongst like, you know, including all his like friends and everyone in the music scene. He was also married, but at the time of his death, he was separated from her. And but with his first wife, he had a son named Alexander. He also apparently so I had a second like love till the end of his life, who he met filming Asa. Yeah, like the the reaction. I just I just want to like sort of mention that that was this extreme tragedy for the whole country. Union. So I want to, okay, I'm going to just discuss and talk a little bit about like the text. That's what Smith, that's what we mean by close reading of uh, a song called Aluminevia Agurzi, which translates as Aluminum Cucumbers from Kino's first album, 45. (laughs) 
вода. Игра не стоит свечи, результат труда, но я сажаю So I I like the song. It's very like lighthearted and silly. Um, the words are as well as the music. The whole song is like has this sort of absurd imagistic quality, like straight from the name and the chorus, which is again aluminum cucumbers. It's the third stanza of the song. Goes, "Zloya belaya kalena petayetsa minya dastat kalom kalena kolut vene nadejde tainu razgadat." Зачем? Я сажаю алюминиевые аркуци на брезантовом поле. Я сажаю алюминиевые аркуци на брезантовом поле. The first two lines are about this knee. And it's kind of like <laughs> this like this knee this this fragmented about. image that comes out of nowhere of this evil white knee. Zloya bela kalena that is trying to like it says trying to reach me or trying to get me. So you have this image of this like instead of a body but this part of a body doing something right yeah. the things that, that he's playing with in this text are like the sounds themselves so that second line the knee is like a pole is injected into veins in hopes of unraveling a mystery why and then i'm planting aluminum cucumbers in a canvas field i'm planting aluminum cucumbers in a canvas field the thing that's important that doesn't come through in the English about the second line, like the knee trying to get me, is the like rhyming and alliteration that's happening because it's kalom kalena kalud vene. There's three words that start with k, and there's a lot of k's in in this song, and like the o's kind of echo each other in all those words, and it kind of feels like the words were chosen more for that reason. There's the image itself is so absurd that it, its logic is explained in its similarity to each other, mm. you know? Like the the phonetics yeah. are the logic. So we have this like scale happening again. We we have this like disembodied knee and then we move into this abstract completely line number 4 that's like in hopes of unraveling a mystery. So that doesn't have any image in it. But the knee wants to solve a mystery. So the knee just like transforms to something abstract and like much larger scale. Oh, and, and the needle line also, like, that line with a bunch of K's and O's that I said has the logic and the phonetics. Like, to me, that also has a weird switching of scale because you have, like, suddenly a knee that is now the size of a needle, potentially. Wait, but you said, like, a pole. Which is also but a you pole. think it means needle? Well, it's injected into veins. So you have the pole suddenly on the scale of a vein. So there's, like, some kind of magnification happening. See? Mm. So then the needle looks like a pole. Something like that. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Arena, and Telegram at She's in Russia. If you want to ask us a question about Russia, give us a call at plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six, or you can leave us a message via Skype also at She's in Russia. Subscribe to our monthly image-based newsletter and we will see you next week where we'll be talking about the upcoming Navalny protests. And we're going to let Soy and Kino play us out with the title track from the album Noche, released in 1986.
это мое право уйти в Следующий день 